Chapter 10, Part 1 In the sermon series, The Gospel of John Spoken by Catrice Walker Good day, family! It is indeed a real gift to be with you in this way today. I'm excited about what the Lord has given me to share. I've been praying that it would be an encouraging word for each of us. So with that in mind, let's pray. Father, you are the giver of good gifts, and I believe that it is a good gift for me to stand before your people today. Father, would you use me for your glory? Um, would you open our hearts and minds to receive this word from you? We love you and thank you for this sweet time together. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. Amen, amen. amen. The last time I had the opportunity to share the gospel with you, I mentioned that in addition to working here at Metro, I also work for an outreach youth organization called Young Life. Well, this summer, while at one of our camps in upstate New York, I became super cool with a kid named Miguel from DC. Miguel didn't come to camp, well, let me rephrase that. Miguel came to a Christian summer camping experience because he was excited to hear about Jesus and grow in his faith. I'm actually kidding, Miguel didn't come for any of that. <laughs> Miguel came because his mom made him go. So he decided, might as well mo make the most of it by seeing how many girls I can get. Little bro had goals. But when he jokingly told me I did what any other Christian leader would do whenever I saw him, I teased him openly about how dumb that plan was. And to go a step further, I even made sure that every girl I saw him walking with knew that she was one of many. I believe the kids are calling that hating or something to that effect. To which I replied, not all heroes wear capes. See, Miguel is 17, about 6'3", is African-American, has light skin, curly hair, and green eyes. See? Now I... <laughs> thank you. I hate Tara to generalize our people, but Miguel happened to be the default type, the standard for a lot of little black girls. He really... Well, you really only needed three things. Light skin good hair and height. You add to that pretty eyes and you're honestly giving Michael B. Jordan some real competition. <laughs> he didn't have to do or be anything. Girls fell for him easily. But one day during free time, I asked him, what's the goal, bro? Like, what do you really want? Not only did he not know, he didn't know how to answer the question. So I went on. You want all the girls to want you, but what's the plan? I mean, I know that being an influencer, for example, is pretty popular these days. We like and subscribe, but for what? Consistently being led, on in some cases, consistently being offered false promises of fulfillment. So many people want us to follow them, but have no idea where they're really taking us. And in Miguel's case, and please forgive me for the analogy, I wanted him to understand that the destination should be more than someone's dirty teenage mattress. No offense, teenagers, if you're in the room. Right? See, we live in an age and in a culture where influence is king and together we have this beautiful opportunity to think about it. Who are you really following? I actually think the topic might be beneficial for all of us. But if you don't immediately see how it applies to your life, I wanna challenge you to resist the temptation to disconnect. So many people, again, end up being casualties of other people's poor intentions and or lack of purpose, more so because they wanna be followed but don't want to be led. 
I didn't want that for Miguel or the other girls that he was pursuing. Excuse me, not other, because he wasn't pursuing me. The girls he was pursuing. I also don't want that for you and the people in your world, and I don't want that for me and the people I'm connected to. I believe, Mama, that God wants us to learn how to steward relationships well, no matter the type, no matter the season. So let's get into it, shall we? John chapter 10, NIV, reads thusly, beginning at verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews, heard, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? In an age and culture where influence is king, it is important that we look at the people that we've given the right to be heard. We have this responsibility to ourselves and to each other to start paying more attention to who and or what has the most influence in our lives because if it's not Jesus, we may be missing an opportunity to be led by the one whose voice we deeply crave to hear. My first point, there are good and bad shepherds. Now, again, from what we've heard, excuse me, from what we've heard or read, the first thing I want us to determine, I think we can determine from scripture. What is wrong with my eyes? Oh my goodness. The first thing I believe we could determine, huh? we can determine from scripture is that there are good and bad shepherds. Actually describing himself as the good shepherd is one of the I am statements exclusive to the gospel of John. Jesus is using the metaphor of shepherding, but he's also distinguishing himself 
from the Pharisees, but more so all human leadership. Jesus took their formal understanding of shepherding and used it as an analogy to help them understand that he is the way. Look at Psalm 30, I mean 23, a little bit of one and two. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. Leaders have influence, but again, are we being led by the influencer of influencers? One of the things that drew me to Young Life is the way that we're taught to speak to students. We're taught to speak to them in a language that they can understand, present the gospel in ways that they can understand. And Jesus is doing that here by using the concept of shepherding as a metaphor, which is something that's commonly found in the Bible. We can look at Ezekiel 34 and two. It says, should not shepherds take care of the flock? There is something quite different about the way Jesus cares for his sheep, though. He explains at the tail end of John 10, 15, that he's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Again, there's something Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to understand. He is unmatched, the voice, the way, the door. He is the one we are to follow. In this illustration, Jesus expounds upon the relationship between sheep and shepherd. There's trust in this relationship, there's familiarity, and hear me carefully, there's also a degree of intimacy. The sheep have been close enough or around long enough to become familiar with their shepherd's voice. One commentary reads that the Middle Eastern shepherd is well known for having a personal devotion to his sheep. He talks to them and sings to them. Jesus notes that this shepherd does not simply lead any sheep, but rather he leads his own. John 10 and three tells us that the sheep listen to his what? His voice. Amen. I was given a lot of freedom at an early age. Once my mom died in 94, my dad, who was full-time musician, cab driver, and part-time ladies man, wasn't at home much. So my house was the party house. Lots of drinking, drugs, etc. Honestly, I'm not sure if I'd just gotten used to him not being there or if I'd always been pretty independent, but I just didn't necessarily long for his presence. I could take care of myself. I was good. I was also taking care of my five-year-old sister, and I was just 13 at the time. I was cooking and maintaining the house. I felt like I could thrive with little to no supervision. So when he dropped me off at college, which was a few hours away from home, I didn't cry. I was rarely ever homesick. I was good. Didn't have any strong feelings about being that far away. And when I moved to New York, I drove up here by myself. Um, I got my master's degree and worked at a thriving African-American church in Queens while living on campus in Dobbs Ferry. I was good, though every week I was singing alongside people that were dominating the music charts, a very intimidating atmosphere filled with the most talented musicians and vocalists, also extremely political, also very demanding. But it didn't take time, it didn't take too long, rather, for me to find my footing. I was good. Dad was so hands-off that most times I felt like I was raising myself. So much so that in the rare moments where he demonstrated affection, I didn't even know how to receive it. It felt awkward, uncomfortable even to be loved by him. But one day, after, after flying home to Cleveland for the holiday, I'd been feeling the weight of being a parentified child, a child who takes on the role of an adult. I was frustrated with life. I missed my mom. I was angry about a myriad of things that I could not control. And while driving home, a song called Where Will You Go by Babyface came on the radio. 
And my dad looked at me and began singing the chorus. And who's gonna love you like I do? Out of nowhere, I started sobbing uncontrollably. I remembered that voice, the beauty and intimacy of that relationship. It took me back to being a kid, standing in the front row of his concerts, singing every song like I was in the room when he wrote them. I'd forgotten his voice and what it meant for me, to me, to hear it. And also what it felt like to be fathered, to be led by him. He never told me, though, that I had to sit in his seat. I assumed the role on my own. I had no mother. My dad was always MIA. It was me against the world. I'd spent so much time away from him. And given the choices that he'd made in his own life, sometimes I felt like I couldn't trust that he'd give me the kind of direction and guidance that I felt I needed. I was super Christian and completely focused on ministry, and he had other priorities. We were not the same. I would never let me fall. He was my dad on paper, but the relationship felt more like a brother-sister kind of dynamic. I convinced myself that I was on my own. I believed that so much so that I'd even send him cards on holidays apologizing for not knowing how to need him as I'd grown into adulthood. Tried to minimize that voice. See, there's a voice that sings over you, a voice that you also respond to, a voice that you love and trust and respect, but question, whose voice is it? Though Zephaniah 3.17 tells us that the Father rejoices over us with singing, I wonder whose voice you hear the loudest, whose voice you submit to. Perhaps it's the voice of a parent or a loved one. The voice of your employer, a podcaster, a friend, an influencer. But like Miguel, are you being led or influenced by someone that doesn't know where they're taking you? Or like me, have you begun to trust the sound of your own voice? Have you found that life has presented you, excuse me, presented you with far too many voices that have not held up to your expectations? Is your voice the only one you feel like you can trust? Another reason Jesus used this shepherding analogy was in response to the religious leaders who stubbornly refused to recognize his miracles and his message. John 10, 20 says, many of them said he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Question, who is leading the leaders that are leading you? I worry that some of the people we're allowing to influence our lives are asking the same question that some of the Pharisees asked. Why listen to Jesus? Why listen to Jesus when you can listen to me? You can buy my CD, buy my new book, listen to my podcast, sow into my ministry. I have the answers that you are desperately seeking and hear me. I'm not saying that supporting people is wrong. I have an album too, surprise, surprise. But what I'm saying is, is if we listen close enough, listen to the way a person lives their lives, not just the things they say, we may be able to notice a bit of their real passion showing, hints of their real intentions. We must pray for our spiritual leaders. We must pray for the church. Why? Because the Pharisees, the religious leaders, didn't listen to Jesus' voice because they weren't of his flock. I hate to break it to you, but it's possible for a religious leader to not be of his flock. 
Scripture tells us in verse 19 that they were divided. Some people believed that Jesus was who he said he was, and others accused him of being raving, mad, and demon-possessed. I sincerely hope that you and I have not begun to trust the voice of people who are not of his flock. If you're going to lead me, if you want me to follow, then please take me, lead me to the feet of Jesus. John 10, beginning at verse 12, says the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Hired hands are unreliable. They were not there to care for the sheep. They don't own the sheep. They're truly not genuinely invested. And we know what that's like. We know how we treat things that we don't own, some of us much better than others. But what if we surrounded ourselves with people that have taken ownership in our relationships, people that say, I want to be here. How would that impact our daily lives, I wonder? Well, family, we are surrounded by leadership in this church who are invested in our growth and maturity as believers people that won't run when you say that you've done things you promised you'd never do again, run when you don't know how to process your grief, run when you're going through a divorce, run when the wolf comes, hired hands are fickle. One minute, ride or die, the next, gone. We have to learn how to assess the truth tellers, the people that we are being influenced by. Are any of them hired hands? Also, Consider that the higher hand may be you. Do you force yourself to run away from hard things? Have you chosen not to invest in yourself? Yoga? I hate yoga. I hate, right? I hate yoga because it's hard. I tell myself that my body doesn't like to move like that, so it's not for you, Queen. Preaching is also something that's new and uncomfortable, and trust me, I've had plenty of opportunities to run. But I know that if I ignore the calling, I might miss the opportunity to grow in a new way. It's not easy to know what to say to you. It's difficult to know that you are being counted on to hear from heaven. I don't want to be the hired hand, one that has no true investment in the sheep, but I have been. Plenty of times, if not in the relationships that I have with you, for sure in the relationship I have with myself. Stewarding relationships healthily requires self-evaluation. There are relationships where we have leadership roles. Think of the relationship you might have with your children. They are following you, trusting your guidance and direction, looking for you to give them support. Maybe there are staff that you oversee at work. Maybe you have a strong following on social media. Maybe people are counting, you to, counting on you to teach them how to dress or how to cook or tell them where to go for the best brunch. I don't know. But in those relationships where you are leading, have you ever been a bad shepherd? Nurturing and cultivating those relationships because of the benefits that they bring you, not because you have a genuine desire to serve or to lead. I've done that too. I know that there have been times where I've treated people like they did not matter. For sure, I am the villain in someone's origin story, but I don't want to be. Several years ago, I was working at a youth church in Queens and we got a call from a woman who ran a group home nearby. 
She was just looking for a church for one of her girls who liked to sing, so somehow I ended up getting the call. Excuse me, wow. At the time, I was also an elementary school music teacher, and the girl would come to my classes after school and then come to Bible study on a regular basis. But over time, I noticed that I didn't speak to her as lovingly as I spoke to the other students. She gave me major anxiety whenever she showed up because I could not control her. I was critical of her behavior, often judgmental and harsh. At times, at times she didn't get what she deserved. I was new to ministry and I was very legalistic. So this wild child who openly cursed in Bible study, she just rubbed me the wrong way. So you know what I did? Well, I'll tell you what I did not do. I did not introduce her to Jesus. I introduced her to a set of rules without love or grace and compassion, which is not the gospel. I cared more about how her behavior made me look. I wanted people to think I was doing a good job. Nothing inherently wrong with that. But see, she just got in the way and became a casualty of my desire. She had a hard, horrible life and was simply looking to be led, to be loved. But she happened to cross paths with a leader who was looking for approval and praise. A leader who had no idea where they were taking her. Lord, forgive me. Point two. Deny the temptation to take the shortcut. Now, let's look at verse one again. It says, shepherds who don't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Okay, cool, 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 cool. If we could have a picture of a sheep pen, that'd be lovely. All right. So this is a sheep pen. It's pretty much an enclosure that's created to hold livestock, essentially a gate. And during the time the scripture was written... The pen wouldn't have, would have had an opening, but no formal closure. So if a gatekeeper got tired, they'd lay in front of the gate to ensure that no livestock went in and out, uh, were protected, and that sheep coming, I mean, excuse me, shepherds coming to retrieve their livestock wouldn't steal other people's property, or as the great orators, naughty by nature, once put, OPP. Moving on. Scripture tells us that there's a right way and a wrong way to enter the sheep pen, but Why? Now, I don't know about you, but I've had my fair share of experiences with gates, and it seems like you want to know more, so let's go there. I had a pogo stick when I was a kid, and if you don't know what that is, this is an image of a pogo stick. Mine was green. I loved it so much, but for some reason, my grandmother hated it. Maybe because it was broken or beat up. I don't know. I think I may have gotten it from somebody's trash. I don't know. But nevertheless, I loved it. And one day, my grandmother decided to take the pogo stick and throw it over the barbed wire fence in our backyard. Why there was a barbed wire fence in our backyard, I don't know. Maybe we lived in the hood, I don't remember. But she threw it over the fence. And so you know what I did? I'm glad you asked. I climbed right over that barbed wire fence to get what rightfully belonged to me. And you know what happened? I slipped both my wrists, climbing back over. Thankfully, your girl is here to talk about it. See, I've climbed more fences, hopped across more gates than I can remember, and <laughs> don't let the little legs fool you. What I've learned when I really take a moment to think about boundaries, gates, fences, and this may not be super revelatory or a brand new idea or anything, but what I've learned is that boundaries are created for a reason. Yep, that's it. The sheep pen was created for a reason, but if someone chose to enter into it from a place contrary to the entrance, you know, like take a shortcut, you know, just violate a little boundary. Jesus says, 
They're thieves and robbers. The gate has been placed around something to protect it. You violate that boundary, thieves and robbers. Okay, well, quick example. Maybe you entered into a marriage covenant and agreed to place boundaries around your relationships, but somehow you started having longer conversations with someone that wasn't your spouse, maybe developed an emotional connection, you know, violated a boundary, can't stop thinking about them and have been feeling guilty. See, boundaries are put in place for a reason, and when we choose to treat them just like they're merely obstacles, things that are in our way, we look at our behaviors as if they're harmless. We do ourselves a great disservice. It's casual. They don't mean anything to me, or I know I said I wouldn't go back on this website. It's no big deal. I can control it. See, the bad shepherd violates the boundary by climbing over the gate to get what they want. In our relationships, have we discarded the boundaries put in place to keep ourselves and others safe? Are we the bad shepherds? Have we violated the boundaries around sex, around conversations, etc.? See, there's a right way and a wrong way to enter into the sheep pen, just like there's a right way and a wrong way to love your spouse. A right way and a wrong way to navigate through your sexual desires as a single or married person. But if we take the shortcut in some instances in life and choose our way, we end up missing the, the opportunity to encounter Christ who is at the door. When we make the decision to do life the right way, developing the courage to truly follow Christ, we honor God by living according to the way, the way that is outlined for us in Scripture. There was a way to get into the area where my pogo stick was that wouldn't have hurt me an opening, a place designed to grant access. And Jesus is saying, that way is me. Through me, Jesus is saying, I can give you pleasure so that you won't seek it out on your own, so that you won't find yourself developing emotional connections, connections that violate the covenant you've made. The gatekeeper can teach you how to live in the tension of the already but not yet so that we might be fully satisfied by him, but we miss the opportunity to find this true fulfillment when we determine that we know what's best for our bodies by taking the shortcut to pleasure, to fulfillment, to happiness. And this hurts because your girl loves a shortcut. For example, I love to prove to my navigation apps that I know a better, quicker, more efficient way. And I wish that was the only type of shortcut that I've taken. I wish that my desire to be chosen or first didn't come at the detriment of others, of people that I've almost ran off the road or people that I've cursed out or openly disrespected because they were in my way. See, I have a way, a way that benefits, promotes, supports, and provides for me. And sometimes my way gets in the way. But Jesus wants to meet us right there at the door. And I don't know who this is for, but if you were here the last time I spoke, I mentioned that I've lost a lot of people in my life. And I'm talking about immediate family, like 20 plus in the span of like two months. Well, five of them in the span of like two months. And when I talked to someone about how all those deaths affected me, they told me something that stuck with me. They said that grief isn't something that you can go around. There's no shortcut. You have to go through that season. So 
Rushing through the process of allowing yourself to feel the weight of loss is a disservice to both you and the one you loved. It's important that you let yourself feel if you love them. They deserve your tears. And trust me, every time I've stood at that dark, lonely, sorrowful door of grief, Jesus was there. The one who is called a man of sorrows, who understands the pain we feel. In those moments of despair, I long to hear the voice of the one who understands that it's not supposed to be this way. The one who wept at the death of a friend, knowing full well he had the power to resurrect him. Someone who cares will be there. I promise you. I promise you. I did everything I could to avoid having to face the reality of those losses. It was hard to embrace this new world without them. But every time I ended up there at the door of grief, the door of the darkest night of the soul, I knew that if I could develop the courage, the strength to turn my head just a bit, I'd see that Emmanuel, God with us, was there with me. And I believe, family, that he will be there with you too, softly singing over you. Will you listen for the song of peace, for a song of healing in that place? Please resist the temptation to be in hired hand and run. The Father knows, and he'll be there. My last point, everyone can't lead you. John 10.10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus, the good shepherd, wants to lead us, wants to give us rich and satisfying lives. I've been in ministry now for over 20 years. I've learned a ton, but one of the most valuable lessons I've learned on my journey is that I need to protect this gift. I can't allow everyone to lead her. I can't allow everyone to advise me on how to love or how to serve or even how to be single. I can't listen to everyone because not everyone who says they represent what I believe actually do. For example, during the pandemic, I had a lot of friends who are Christian leaders talk about how frustrated they were with other more popular or prominent preachers, teachers, and thought leaders. Their frustrations were rooted in the fact that many of their role models had nothing to say about everything that was happening in the world. I have friends that even turned away from the faith because the people they trusted to help them navigate through some of the racial discrimination and violence that we saw with the George Floyd case and others like it were silent. They soon discovered that behind the image of strong, capable, confident leadership, people who cared for their sheep were actually a bunch of thieves and robbers, people that cared more about their platforms than the souls of the people they claimed to serve. I'm thankful for this church, thankful for my brothers and sisters who I labor among, thankful to serve alongside people that actually care. Thankful for our pastor. In fact, I was drawn to this church because I'd never heard a preacher say from the pulpit that he wanted to become known for his weaknesses. That was countercultural. Weaknesses in my faith tradition were not allowed or openly discussed. But me, I needed something real. I needed a church that was real to be surrounded by people who actually understood how challenging it really is to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before God. We put a lot of attention in and focus on leaders, but you know what? Following doesn't get the credit it deserves, Alex. 
We have to pay close attention to the people we let speak into our lives. This is true in every season, but particularly true in hard ones. For example, if you're struggling in your marriage, it may not be helpful to talk to someone who is deeply apathetic about relationships. People that are bitter or a person that has a personal interest in your marriage failing. If you're struggling with parenting, it might not be wise to talk to someone that doesn't understand your particular experience. All children are not the same and all parental experiences are also not the same. And if you're struggling as a single person with the boundaries God placed around sex and or sexuality, it may not be helpful to talk to someone you don't feel safe enough with to be brutally honest. Someone you can talk to about how you're managing your time and stewarding the other relationships in your life. Not helpful to talk to someone who is careless about their bodies or lacks accountability. And if you've been let down by people so many times that you've determined that you're the only person you can trust, consider this. God tells Adam in Genesis 2 that it is not good for man to be alone. Maybe you really do need a sounding board. Maybe in this season, You shouldn't be carrying all that weight on your own. God has gifted us with relationships for a reason. We all have these God-given limitations. We need each other. But I pray that God will lead you to the kinds of relationships that will encourage, excuse me, and facilitate the healing that you so desperately desire, a place safe enough for you to reveal those wounds. I've just determined that Some of the most influential speakers may be great. They may be amazing orators, great at tickling the ears of their listeners, great at teachers, but they might not be great at leading me. Family, if we're gonna be influenced by something, let it be by the Spirit of God moving through the mouths and hearts and minds of the good shepherds God has called and equipped to lead us, not by our daily horoscopes, Enneagrams, personality tests, or any other mediums people run to for truth. Things that have no true investment in your growth. Someone who knows where they're taking you. Someone who's willing to do the work to sacrifice themselves like the good shepherd. Giving up of their time and talent and energy to make sure that you don't get swept away when the threat appears, when death appears, when sin's false promises of fulfillment calls you out by name. (laughs) Choosing Christ is much more than saying yes once. It is that daily work of facing the truth about ourselves, others, and our God. It is the risk of moving through shame and pain and grief, enduring the process of sanctification and surrendering our hearts to God's plan. It's waiting for him to complete the good work that he began. It's both time and tears. It's living in the tension of the already but not yet. It's suffering, it's worship, it's beautiful. But please, evaluate the sources around you that you trust to be truthful, even if that person is you. I've lied to myself more times than probably anyone else. Lied about the ways that I feel, saying things like, I don't want to have kids because I'm trying to protect myself from being disappointed if I can't. Lied about things that I need, like I've got this, I've got this, but deep down just wanting to give the appearance that I was okay when I wasn't. Even lied to myself about little stupid things like what I ate the day before. I haven't eaten all day. I heard myself say that once in a car with a friend and responded out loud, girl, yes, you did. Like, who are you trying to convince? Like, I was there. 
What if God is calling you, calling all of us to more freedom, hope, and beauty? What if? What if Jesus, the good shepherd, is asking us to follow him fully because ultimately he knows that his voice is the only one we truly crave to hear? At least we know that he's fully invested. We know that when the wolf comes, he won't run. Thinking of my father in that beautiful moment we had in the car that night, I'm reminded that though I will never have that rich and beautiful experience with him again, I can be grateful for the reminder in Zephaniah 317 that our father is rejoicing over us with singing. Lean in. What song do you need to hear today? Maybe a song of peace to remind you that he is with you. Maybe a song of hope that would encourage your heart. Whatever it is you need to hear, I pray that the message comes from his voice or the good shepherds he's placed in your lives. The one who should have the most influence, the loudest voice, the influencer of influencers. I pray that we would all just learn to listen and silence every other voice that is off pitch. Let us pray. Bless you. Are we not a church? (laughs) Sorry. Father, what a gift and honor it is to be known, to be loved, to be called by you. I am grateful for the good shepherds that you have placed in our lives. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that we would all develop the courage to listen out for your voice. We thank you for this opportunity to learn more of you today. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would protect us from the hand of the evil one. Help us to see those people and those things in our lives that are influencing us, that are not leading us to being the people that you have called and created us to be. It is a gift to be known, to be loved, to be seen by you. We love you and thank you for this sweet time today. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank you.